You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, interviews from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s with voices from the past. I lost my radios right at the start of the race. I'm in the race car. Pinsky went back to the pits. I pushed the radio to do a radio check with him, and smoke came out from under my dash. The radio blew up, literally. Race car driving legend Bobby Unser. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, one of the world's most iconic car races, the Indianapolis 500, is set to run this Sunday. Now, in the 111-year history of that race, only a handful of drivers have won the race three times or more, and only two have won it in three different decades. One of those drivers is the legendary Bobby Unser, who won the race in 68, 75, and 81. He and his brother Al, in fact, are the only brothers ever to win the Indy 500. I met Bobby Unser in the spring of 2003 when he wrote a motivational book called Winners Are Driven. So here now from 2003, Bobby Unser. When they first came to me when we do a, a book, Bill, they, they wanted it to be a biography book type, you know. And I just said, no, I, I just don't want to do a biography. I think it's too much of a person bragging about his life. They don't always tell the truth because sometimes it affects too many other people, and I hate to admit it, but that's true. And so I, and I did too, and, and they were both unsuccessful. I didn't do them, but other people did them when I was racing. So in this particular case, we came up with the idea of doing a motivation book. Then I said, wow, now that's what I've been giving speeches and talks about mm-hmm. for 35 years. So motivation is what I am about. So I says, yippee, let's do it. <laughs> it's over a year's work. It's what you've been living your whole life, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. The, the stories that are in it, because what we did in the book, Paul Peace was really good. He helped me an awful lot because, like, for example, this is his idea, but when you begin a chapter, it'll, it'll start with a little racing story, and then it'll go to the, we'll call it the motivation, in between. And then that racing story, which was at the first, will end up being the last in the chapter with all the, the, call it the preaching stuff, the good messages that are in between with the racing stories on both sides. And that really was a good idea. And that was Paul Pisa's idea. It was my deal to get the stories and get them right. But his idea to do that. It is somehow kind of biblical, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, right. (laughs) And then the little pointers. You know, after oh, yeah. the chapters, yeah. those things, people are liking that so far. Mm-hmm. Really like them. Oh, yeah. Well, because, because you've got stuff in here that anybody can use, even if they don't even have a driver's license. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's for wives, girls, kids. Uh, like, I think it really addresses them about the end of high school, when they're capable of reading something and really thinking about something mm-hmm. or knowing something about life. Mm-hmm. That's about where they really start gaining. College kids really like it so far. <laughs> Grown-ups, people that are in business, God, you ought to see the emails that I get. People that, that I thought were successful people. And they're just loving it because it's kind of like a reintroduction back to life for them. It's almost like your carburetor that's running too lean, and then you just crank it up a little bit, put some more fuel in there. That's absolutely <laughs> Well, you know, I get turned on by reading it myself, even though the messages are basically mostly mine. Now, yeah, let me, yeah, let me ask you, before you put, that, put this all down on paper, did, was it all just internal, or did you realize what was driving you, what was motivating you, until you put it down on paper? No, I've really known that for years, or most of my life. I've, I've obviously been a very different person all my life, because... I didn't finish high school. I only finished my sophomore year. 
And I, I went into the Air Force at a certain time and went to uh, two schools there. One was an automotive school, and that was too easy. So I, I, I didn't do anything through that thing because I knew more than the instructors did. But then I went to electronics school, and that was, that was a, a, a butt kicker for sure. <laughs> and, but I, and you see, I had never studied in school. The little schooling that I had, my girlfriends did all my stuff for me, like the English and the biology, <laughs> and the rest of it was sports and auto class. So there's nothing for me to do. So when I was in the Air Force and went to the electronics school, I graduated in the top five. Well, at least showed me that if I wanted to, mm-hmm. I could study. And then I went to, did some aviation things. I got my pilot's license. Mm-hmm. And some of the deals you get after you get your first license takes a lot of studying, like an instrument license mm-hmm. to fly in bad weather and stuff. And so that was hard study. And I got that done in two weeks. So at least it showed me that, that if I set a mind to it, that I might have done well in school. But I went on to teach myself via a lot of other people, which a lot of that's in the book, mm-hmm. of being an engineer, like a mechanical engineer, being able to design race cars. That's what it was all about. See? Well, see, all of that speaks, though, to your first chapter, which is desire, doesn't it? I mean- Absolutely. The, the whole book, when you think about it, is all, if you had a catalyst to put this book together, it would be desire. It, it would, the word want, I want something. I want a car. I want a, a piece of food. I want something. If you have wants, which everybody does, you can have desire. And the message is right there to do that and how to do it. And there's going to be peaks and valleys too, Bill. I mean, everything is not up, but hopefully everything isn't down either, you know. <laughs> but when they do go down and you hit your valleys, don't stay there. And that's a lot in the book about that. Don't linger there. Don't let it drag your life down. Don't let it drag your peaks down because everybody will have peaks and valleys. It's expected. But see, it occurred to me as I was reading your book, and, you've, and we should also tell people, besides the motivational part, you do, in fact, tell stories about your racing career, which your, your diehard fans will be, will be anxious to read about. But you know, when you talk about not letting obstacles, a business person who reads this book, his obstacle is not likely to involve crashing into a wall and bursting into flames the way your right. obstacles might have. Right. So it's a little bit different. But still, the messages are the same to him. In other words, he can relate. The stories in racing, I think, are good stories. Naturally, we couldn't tell it all because too many years of it, too many races. So we just picked out lots of good stories, lots of good stories, I think, but... And, and used a lot of people, for example, like Roger Penske as examples. But many people that I was associated with like that, that are, that are just, they were my heroes. They were my idols. They were the people that I learned from and where a lot of my drive came from. If, you, if you're around Roger Penske very much, you better <laughs> either have a lot of drive or you don't need to be around that man. So even though I might have been very determined before I got associated with Roger, he just took me to another level. And I thought that was nice, that I could think that way and do it. So I can tell other people how to do it and to do the same thing. So he was building on the enthusiasm your Uncle Louie gave you to begin with. <laughs> That's right. Absolutely true. <laughs> Only with Roger, I was developing race cars and winning a lot of races for him. Yeah, you were in the big leagues at that point. I mean, you know, big money's at stake, huge television audiences, the Indy 500. I mean, you can't get much bigger than that. No, that's 100 million TV people. I worked for ABC for, for I think it was nine years. Mm. And I worked for CBS and, and NBC before that. 
And who would have ever thought a young kid from Albuquerque, New Mexico, that didn't finish high school, would end up being a television? I mean, I, I was an expert, and, and it was so easy for me because I knew what I was doing. I knew how to handle it, and, and people didn't bother me. In other words, I didn't get embarrassed or bashful, so it was an easy and nice job. And that's something else you're talking about in this book is, is preparation, teamwork, all the things that make you, that give you the confidence that, you know, for example, I mean, when, when you come into my studio, I'm confident, well, I'll do the, do the interview because I'm prepared. I know what I'm doing. I've been doing this a long time. I've read the book. I know what I need to know. So, you know, you could be you or you could be Dolly Parton or you could be, you know, somebody else sitting there. And I'm pretty much, well, maybe Dolly Parton, I don't know. Just, yeah, <laughs> easy now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we, we might be a little nervous in a case like yeah. that. But, you know, it, it, there is a confidence that comes with knowing exactly what you're doing, isn't there? Yes, there is. And, and having confidence in yourself. That's a lot in the book, mm -hmm. if you'll remember reading that. Oh, I yeah. mean, people have to be happy with what they are and be aggressive. You know, one of the most important things, I think, is to hang around people that are successful people. Don't let people that don't want to be successful drag you down. And, and that's so true. You know, you're judged by the company you keep. Is that not what your parents mm -hmm. have told you for mm -hmm. so many years? It's a lot of truth to it, too. After the short break, Bobby Unser explains why you always need a Plan B at the Indy 500. Now back to my 2003 conversation with Bobby Unser. There's a lot of stuff in here that my mom would have called common sense. It is. I think, yeah, I really think all the book is common sense. Uses racing, the excitement of getting into a chapter and reading that, and then I call it the preaching in between, if that's what people <laughs> like. And, and that basically is all good common sense. But how many times can you read in a book good common sense in a simple language that everybody can understand, a doctor can understand it? A doctor can read this book, and I promise you, he'll make his business better, and he'll make his customers better meaning the patients, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I mean, government people, we don't think the government has customers, but of course the government has customers, taxpayers. That's right. We are the customers, that's for sure. That's, we <laughs> certainly complain about them enough. You know? <laughs> right. well, i got to comment about something else about your book. I didn't see one single word in here that I would not want my granddaughter to read. No, there, there, there is a couple of really, really small words that are cussing, not really cussing, but minor on that. But, but there isn't a kid that doesn't hear worse than this book <laughs> on television every day of the week. Yep. So I think we did a good job on the book that way. And some really good advice for all those kids who leave the house without doing you-know-what before they leave. There's good advice from a man who's been there twice and forgot to do what he needed to do before he climbed into the car for the Indy 500 race. That's absolutely <laughs> true. That's going to the potty. You know? That's for sure. Get awfully excited before a, before a big race. I had more trouble probably at Indy than any other place because naturally there's more people looking at you. There's 400,000 people in the grandstands, and there's going to be a million people looking at you on television, you know. Now, is there is there a longer... Or 100 million. I'm oh, yeah, I was, yeah, I was going to say. Is, is there a longer checklist of things to do before the Indy 500 than there is other races? Yes, there is. Well, obviously there is because it's a 500-mile race. And if you take a thoroughbred automobile like a racing car, like an Indy car, there's an awful lot to the pit stops, to the pit crew, to the meetings that you have before the race, to all the game planning. It's like putting a, 
It's like putting the World Series together. I mean, you really have to think about a lot of things. Like, for example, hopefully you read in the book where in 1981, my last win there, I lost my radios right at the start of the race. I'm in the race car. Pinsky went back to the pits. I pushed the radio, do a radio check with him, and smoke came out from under my dash. The radio <laughs> blew up, literally. Now, had we not had a game plan B done in our meeting the evening or the afternoon before, we'd have been mm-hmm. really in bad trouble, for sure. It made it difficult to lead a lot of the race. I would have led probably three-fourths of that race. But because we didn't have radios, when everybody else would come into the pits, I had to get a signboard and go another lap to come in, which each time in the serial scoring, it put me way back in the field. So every time we did a pit stop, I had to pass all those guys again. But at every pit stop, I would lead the race again. But I'd just get there and and have another pit stop to do. So that's what the race. But remember, I could have not won the race. Would have been impossible had we not had Plan B as a backup. Mm-hmm. See, <laughs> that's true. So planning is important, and that's a lot in the book. Now, I, d- I do have to. I, w- I would be remiss if I didn't ask you a, a semi-serious question as we sit here, and I, and I mean this honestly. I mean, why aren't you dead? I mean, all the th- the times you could have killed yourself. I mean, wh- what 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 makes what by by the grace of God are you sitting here today? Well, some of the accidents were really bad, but. I, I can only point to one thing on that, and, and uh, I am a religious person to a, to a large degree. It's God took care of that stuff. I guarantee you, some of the crashes I had, if, if you were in my home and I showed you some of the stuff, I have 8,500 square feet of museum that I live in, racing memorabilia and, and, and et cetera, and if I showed you those things and showed you the pictures and the movies of it, you just wouldn't believe a few of them. But the good Lord just takes care of it. And, and he just decided that I was going to make it a long time, and he saw me to the end, and that's the only thing I'd account. He didn't win all the races for me, but he certainly <laughs> helped me a lot. But he got me through those bad wrecks. Now, I also have to ask you, I mean, have you, after all these years, have you suffered hearing loss? My hearing stayed fairly good. Yes, I do. It, it, uh, certain decibels like high. The uh, Nassau one time ran me through their sound chambers. They have the best and the latest mm-hmm. in the world. And they had a record of the Novi car. You saw that in oh, the yeah, book, yeah. the Novi car. Mm-hmm. They had a record that was made. So they, they ran a, a decibel deal on that car, and they put me in the sound chamber, and I am totally deaf where the Novi was because we weren't smart enough to wear earplugs now. you got to oh. remember, we were tough guys from the West, you know. <laughs> and so we didn't wear earplugs. I'm totally deaf there. But I'm fairly good at the other levels. Like mm-hmm. the lower the levels, the better I am. And my brother Al, for example, is is so close to being totally deaf, it's scary. Mm. He has to have special earplugs made or, or uh, amplifiers made for his ears. I mean, really special, and he has to wear two of them all the time. So he came out worse than I did, and everybody thought I would come out worse than he did from driving cars like the Novi, see? Mm. We just could have worn earplugs, but there was no technology into it in those days. <laughs> and that would have been the sissy way to do it. You know? <laughs> Now, see, some doctor will come along, and he's got the desire and the knowledge that he'll come up with the the better earplugs now. Well, everybody uses them and have for years now. My kids don't have any problems. It's the daddies that were dumb, you know. I mean, I would have not. I mean, instead of wearing earplugs, I had speakers inside my helmet. I mean, mean, honest to goodness, the technology told me I could have had 
ear deals plugs that went into my ears with speakers in those, right? Put it right next to your eardrum. Turn the volume down, hear everything, and not hear the engine, but not Bobby. <laughs> I was used to the speakers. I wanted to hear that racing engine, and that's the way I did it, and it was wrong. I'm guessing at some level that the, just hearing the engine must have been kind of soothing to you at some level, you know, just knowing that, knowing that it's there and, you, and you're in control of it. You know, even when I fly my airplanes, I, I can't put on the earmuffs like you're wearing right now. I can't do that. I don't want to do it. I need to hear those engines. I've done it all my life. If there's something wrong between my hearing and my feel, I can detect things way before a normal person can. And, and it's a habit that you get into. I totally know that it, it isn't a necessity, but it's a habit, and I have acquired a really good feel for stuff like that, so that's the way I live. Bobby Unser died last May, just days before the 2021 Indy 500. He was 87. And you can find easy Amazon links to Bobby Unser's book at our website, HeardEverything.com. And did you know that you can hear all of our past episodes at HeardEverything.com? All of our episodes from this season, which is season four, plus hundreds more from our first three seasons. That's at HeardEverything.com. And of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find us on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, it's Memorial Day the day on which we honor those men and women who have given their lives in military service to the U.S. We'll go back to my 1998 conversation with a woman whose brother returned from service in the Persian Gulf War with a horrible disease. My 1998 conversation with Denise Donnelly. They're waiting for my brother to die. I'm convinced of it because when he's dead, the story isn't as compelling. He's not sitting there before you, a quadriplegic in a wheelchair who cannot speak and cannot eat. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. <laughs>